0: Genesis chapter 2 is our scripture reading. Very beginning of the Bible, Genesis 2, verses 8 through 17. And that's on page 7 in your pew Bibles. We'll read these words together. Genesis 2, 8 through 17. Let's begin. The Lord God planted the garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pishon, which is the one which curts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is Gihon, which is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekal. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. A paradise. A garden paradise. Special gifts in Eden. Beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, God made men the emperors of the world to rule the world for his glory. And as emperors, he gave man a special gift. Started off with the wife, the best gift of all, of course, and you'll hear more about that Lord willing the next time but after wife he gave man three gifts that we will look at today he gave men food water and warning but before that you learned the last time that he gave men the sabbath spiritual gifts A day of rest, to reconnect with him for strength, to do the great work he called men to do. He gave men sustenance for his physical strength. We're looking at the details of that today. He gave man a soul to show that man could have communication with him, be close to him, be strengthened spiritually for the work, unlike the animals that do not have a soul. These things are all about the dominion of the world for the glory of God. So we will hear today the details of the sustenance, that special gift that God provided for man. And you will hear about the details of the gift of his wife next time, Lord willing. The three gifts are food, water, and a warning. And our goals are that you will see the great blessings God gave to man, blessings which he lost, but blessings which are restored to him in Jesus Christ, and seeing those blessings that you will worship God better and work for his dominion. Let's talk about the blessings then that God gave man. After God made him, God gave him a wife. The first thing we notice here is that God provided food. Food. Even with the whole world in front of him, God chose a special spot, and the whole world was perfect and good, but God made a special spot and planted a garden man, that Garden of Eden. And what a sweet place Eden must have been. The very name Eden means pleasure or pleasant place. Now, we don't know the location of the Garden of Eden. Men have spent a lot of time trying to speculate. It really doesn't matter. But we believe it's somewhere around modern-day Iran. The problem with trying to pin it down is because when there was a great flood, Or when there were great earthquakes, a lot of things moved. Even the continental shifts occurred. So we don't know where the location uh, of the Garden of Eden was. Not important. What was important was there, God provided man with what man needed. And you notice, man did not plant the Garden of Eden. God prepared it and then brought man to it. Man was simply to enjoy what God gave to him. It was 100% a gift. God intended that man enjoy it because it's described as a pleasant place. The word pleasant describes something that you like to see, something you would enjoy being near or being in. The smells were pleasant. The leaves were of beautiful color. And the foods were absolutely delicious. That he could eat and enjoy. And I believe there must have been eggplant there. Well, not, some, of, some of you won't agree. No corner of the garden was barren. Everything there was good. The garden was the palace of the emperor. A mansion for man. I have a quote from John, uh, Matthew Henry in the sermon notes. He says, heaven was Adam's roof. The earth was his floor. The walls were beautifully decorated. Even Solomon in all his glory was not decorated as one of the flowers of the Garden of Eden. That perfect temperature. You didn't need to have to bundle up. In fact, in their perfect state without sin, they were both naked. The temperature was perfect. They enjoyed sleeping in the open. There were no bugs bothering them. Everything was perfect. It was a gift. And they had all the food they needed. But along with the food, God put two trees there. He placed the tree of life in the midst of the garden along with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What was this tree of life? Well, the tree of life was a sign and a seal of immortal life. It was the non-bloody sign of the covenant that God established with man. Adam and Eve were to remember their creator and his blessing and fulfill their responsibility of having dominion over the whole face of the earth. And the tree of life was put in that prominent place in order for man to see and for man to remember. Every time he would look at that tree, he would think of what God had called him to do to multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion in it for the glory of God. In fact, it was a life-giving tree. The taste was good. It was that reminder of what God, had, the covenant God had established with him, that good covenant of works. What about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, this was a test tree. To test man, if he would love good or he would love evil. If Adam ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was the standard for bad. And if Adam did not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was a standard for good. And he would have been confirmed in righteousness had he passed the test and refused to eat of that tree. Now let's see what we can learn about the food that God provided for man. And when we say food, we use it in a generic way. There are other things, the comforts and things of life just like when we pray, give us this dear daily bread. We don't just mean bread. We mean eggplant as well and, and meat and the, the comforts of life, the ordinary things. Six lessons. Even a fallen world can produce enough food so people can have in abundance. God can surely do that. We read in Deut- Deuteronomy 28 when he started giving the blessings and cursings to Israel as they were entering to the promised land. He said, this is a land I'm giving to you, a land of milk and honey, wells you didn't dig, uh, vineyards you didn't plant, houses you did not build. I can give this all to you if you walk with me. You see, Canaan is a picture of the restoration of the Garden of Eden, that beautiful land with all the perfect foods. You also see this picture in the tabernacle. And this is where you see the flow of the scriptures. They lost the garden. They had a picture of it in Canaan. Then they had the picture of it in the tabernacle as well, in the decorating of the tabernacle, in the picture of the 12 loaves of bread that were set on that side of the right side of the tabernacle, picturing God providing food for his people again. So second, learn to enjoy what God's given to you. Don't feel bad that you have enough to eat or more than enough. Don't feel guilty for having. Don't eat too much, that's a sin, but learn to share with others as God has provided for you. Third, when people starve, it's not because the world is unproductive, though it was cursed and you have more thistles than good plants, yet the earth is good enough to produce enough But it's usually man's fault. I mean, think of a place like uh, Ukraine, where they had the best soil on the planet. And I'm there buying potato chips, and and the potatoes were about this big, and half of it was black. They had the beautiful land, but they were using these communal farms, and nobody wanted to farm the land. And the reason they didn't have good food there wasn't because the land wasn't productive, because the people were lazy. And that's why often people starve. Or sometimes it's politics. They block the water from people or they don't get the... What happened in Sri Lanka last uh, two years ago. Suddenly the government decided they're not going to use fertilizers and then people end up starving because they didn't have enough food to, to eat. So you need to think of this when God said, I'm going to give you the food you need. When we don't have food, it's usually because of sin. Sin somewhere along the line. Sometimes man is taken up by wars and doesn't plant. Sometimes he pollutes the land instead of planting. More destruction. Or sometimes as mentioned, just lazy. Four. Man has a way back to God. And this is where you see the link. Remember I preached a sermon some time ago from Jeremiah. The link between wheat and wickedness. Food and faith. And uh, when faith is lacking, often food starts to go. But man has provided, God has provided a way back for man so that man can come back and not only have food for the body, but food for the soul. Now, there's sometimes a period of overlap when people are starting to live godly lives and there's still poverty. But the trend is always, if you're faithful to the Lord, He will provide for you. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, and we will read together. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that both you and your descendants may live. It's interesting that God says, you choose life, you will live, you will have food as well. I will provide for you. But you see where the solution is? Coming back to God. We lost the food. It's not earth. It's not as productive as it used to be. You come back to God. The solution then is not just to feed people as we think the solution is. When people are starving, just give them food. Temporarily, maybe. But long term, they have to learn to come back to God, to serve God, and God will provide. Fifth, The tree of life appears again in Revelation and refers to Christ. Isn't that interesting? Revelation 2.7, let's read that for us. Together, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You see the restoration of it? You see all the symbols after it was lost, you had... Um, the tabernacle, you had Canaan, you had the temple, and as God works, eventually this tree of life comes back in reality. But there's one more symbolism about this that is often missing. Jesus hung on the tree so that if you believe Jesus was forsaken by God for you, you will have eternal life. You receive that by faith. That's what we do when we have the Lord's Supper. We're eating of that bread of life again. We're restored into right relationship with him, and we're invited back into the garden. And that's what we see at the end of the scriptures. The bread of life. He said, if you eat of me, you will never be hungry again. Those who then eat from the fruit of Calvary's tree will never die. And by the way, the cross was made and described as being made of a green tree, meaning it's still living, symbolically speaking of the life that would come from Jesus Christ. Look at Revelation 22.2. Uh, 2. Together, in the midst of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. You see how it comes back full circle. We're getting that tree of life that was taken away from man. Now, one more thing. Dominion will come through Christ over the whole face of the earth. He is the one who will restore. See, sometimes people stop there. And say, we'll get the tree of life, wonderful. And that's wonderful up to that point. But we are being restored in order to continue the same command of multiplying, filling the earth, and what? And having dominion for the glory of Christ. Isaiah 4, 2 says together, In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and gracious, And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. This is the picture of this fruit coming back and nourishing them. And now they are to keep fighting. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations. And as people are restored, then God will bless us with the smaller things. When we start focusing on food, instead of faith, It's a problem you have to keep fixing day after day after day. You fix the faith, the food situation will be resolved. Second gift, water. Water, verses 10 through 14. God gave Adam more gifts in order to have dominion on the earth. God gave him rivers of water that he and the animals and the plants could enjoy. You know, trees thrive best when they're nourished with good, fresh River, water. And this was water in abundance. What do we know about these rivers? There are four of them. Pishon means gusher or increase. Gihon means spurter or bursting out. These two rivers, Pishon and Gihon, are likely dried up riverbeds due to changes in weather or shifts in the earth's crust. Or maybe great phenomena as the worldwide flood. There have been major changes in the world, and this, of course, is one of the problems of the modern uh, climate change thing, as if change didn't happen throughout history. Many great rivers have totally disappeared in history, where they found, even in the United States, they found some major ships just from the 1700s and 1800s in fields, and there was no river there. That's because the rivers were diverted because of various things. And they found ships buried and landed. How did they get there? Well, they were sailing. So these things can, can happen. That's why we don't know where they are. These two, the other two rivers, we have a much better understanding of them. Hedekel, which means rapid or arrow, uh, is the modern Tigris River. This runs through Iraq. And the writings of the Medo-Persian king confirm that the Hedekel is the Tigris River. And then, of course, Euphrates which means fruitfulness. Now, archaeologists have done remarkable work in trying to identify these rivers, but they have not been able to be sure. One of them could very well be, due to shifts, could have been the Nile River actually heading south down into Africa, but we don't know. What's the significance, though, of this? Well, the significance, first of all, is that four rivers flowing or starting in that garden, And so there was adequate water. But God is saying this to them. I am giving you water. I am the one who is the source of your blessing. You are here to do my bidding. You are here to work for my glory. You're doing my bidding. And I will give you what you need. And the river flowed from the same source. There are people, I don't know if we can prove this, uh, the link, but there are people who uh, strongly argue that this is a picture of even the four Gospels that were sent throughout the whole earth, that the Gospel becomes the water of life for the whole world. That's why we don't have three Gospels or, or two. We have four of them picturing the same call to go and spread the Gospel and have dominion over the world as Jesus called us to do. But then you hear about these precious stones, and gold, and bdellium, and onyx, and what's the purpose of mentioning these things? One of the things we know, it's a thing for beauty and for service, right? You are engaged to be married, and those ladies have a way of making sure everyone gets partially blinded from the reflection of that stone. It's beautiful. They want people to see it because diamonds are beautiful. And so here you've got these beautiful onyx stones and uh, the description of different uh, minerals. It is a thing of beauty. And then what what about gold? Well, gold is also beautiful. That's what people spend so much time and money searching for gold. Because gold is not only nice, it's not only beautiful, but it's also important for uh, manufacturing. A lot of conductors, because gold is such a, a precious metal, a good conductor, it's used in a lot of fine equipment. So God was providing not just water, but even these precious stones that were found near the water. What can we learn here? First of all, there's always a link between wickedness and the lack of water. Just as there is a link between wickedness and the lack of wheat. Because of man's sin, God could remove water, and God could remove wheat. Second, the waters of, the abundance of waters is not only pictured in the spread of the nourishment through the four gospels, but it's also a picture of what happens in in baptism. These uh, things nourish your soul. It's not speaking of the volume of water, but the means or the symbolism of it. It's a nourishment of the soul, just like the food in the Lord's Supper is a means of nourishment of the soul. Every time you see someone sprinkled with water, it's reminding that their sins have been washed away. Beautiful picture. You see, we want to care that we have good and clean water, and Canada has the most fresh water in the world, and we're glad to be here but it's the other water that you need first, the one that will wash away your sins, the one that Jesus said to the woman at the well, you drink of the water i give you, you'll never be thirsty again. You'll never be thirsty again. But God used water particularly to picture this. He could have used grape juice, which is not a problem to sprinkle people with, but he said, no, water. That's why John the Baptist was by the Jordan River. And then you see this water coming back again at the end of the Bible. First, look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 1. Together. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's the water you drink, you live. And before that, Psalm 46, verse 4. Together. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. From there flowed the water of life. And from God's family, we now have that water of life that we can pass on to others. You can understand the psalmist when he was describing in the the Song of Ascents He talked about being in Babylon and they couldn't sing the Lord's song there because they didn't have that nourishment like they should have. Psalm 137, verse 1. Together, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. Yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. They wanted to be in the city of God from which that water flowed for the nourishment of the people of God so that they would grow and be strong, and be able to work for the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So, food, God provided. Water, God provided. And here's another thing. God provided work. Now, I know, boys and girls, when you hear work is a gift, you probably say, no. But work was a gift, and it was a lot easier to do because you didn't get exhausted. Work was a pleasure to do. It was intended for man. What specifically did God say? First of all, he gave uh, Adam an assistant. He gave Adam a wife. And the command was to tend and keep the garden. The word tend means to work, and to keep means to preserve. The notion of paradise being a place of uh, you sitting under a palm tree and eating delicious grapes and, and pomegranates, I only use that because you will know those. I will use tropical fruits if I were speaking to my people. But most people have this idea that this is what the gentle breezes are blowing. You're just sitting down eating all day. No, you were made for work. And there's a reason for that. Man needs to work. People get in difficulties if they have no purpose in life. You wake up in the morning and you watch television. You go to sleep and you wake up and you watch television. You... Life is not good that way. You go out, you walk, you meet other people, you do things. Work was intended all along. It's just that then it was not hard. Why wasn't it hard? Because he had the will to work and he had the strength to do it. You know, sometimes after long days work, the next day you're sore and Adam never had that problem. He balances time well. He had the strength because God gave him the food and the water. And that was good for his soul. Genesis uh, 3.19. Look what happened after the fall. Together, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What a sad reality. Look at where he fell. Work became hard God didn't make work hard sin in Adam made work hard but God gave man a limit again one more thing in in this section he told man not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil otherwise he would die and you think why What do you mean die? What does die mean? Well, there are three deaths we have to deal with. One is spiritual death. That's the death by guilt uh, and the power of sin. You read about that in Ephesians chapter 2. Then there's temporal death. That's the death of the body. The death of the body by decay and sickness and terror and dangers. And You often hear from the time you're born, you're one day closer to death. It's true. From the time you're born, you start Dying. But then there's an eternal death which will follow the temporal death unless that person finds a redeemer. So Adam was cursed with spiritual death. Then he would physically die later on. And if he had no redeemer, he would face this eternal death. God gave him everything he needed to do the work and would have confirmed him in righteousness. But he sinned. And the death after death after death was in the cards. What can we learn from this? God has provided everything you need to have dominion so that you could bring glory to him. Everything you needed. It was man's fault that he lost it. But now God is restoring that to us. Second, no man must expect to live in this world without working You're cursed if you are lazy. You know, we live in a society where the big thing now, among some circles, is guaranteed income. So you stay home and you're guaranteed that the government will send you a check to cover all your expenses. What does the Bible say? You're cursed if you are lazy. Now, there's some people who can't work, they have difficulties and so on, you're fine. Employment, I understand that. God knows that. But if you're refusing to work, you're going to be cursed by God. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, together. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Proverbs 27, 23, together. Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. Don't be careless, even with what you have And third, man is neither to go beyond the prescribed method to do anything God has commanded. Man must never, ever do that. He must not come up with some new message for evangelism to win the world. He must not come up with new ways to worship. He must not come up with new things to believe. He must even work the way God says. That's part of what God expects from uh, mankind. You know, if you're, taking care, you're, you're working in the world, you learn to take care of the earth, not abuse it. Or people who are pumping, and you've seen some of the gold mines in, in uh, South America, where the fish have literally been destroyed from the rivers totally because they're pumping so much mercury, the kids are starting to get sick. You have to work the way God says. You have to worship the way God says. God has provided everything man needed. Food, water, work. Tell him what to do. God's provided a helper for him. And now God's provided his Holy Spirit. He's provided his word. He's provided his church. You have to work in the way that God says so indeed Christ can have dominion. Let's conclude. Adam had everything he needed and more to do the work of having dominion. He had the bliss of paradise with the abundance of delicious, nourishing food and rich, refreshing water. He had a perfect wife. Think about that. She had a perfect husband. They would have children who would always be obedient. Think about having that, won't it? but he also had one test. And if Adam passed the test, he would have been confirmed in in his descendants in righteousness forever, but he failed. He lost all those gifts. They never would come in that abundance and nourishment again until what we are having now, that restoration in Jesus Christ. He provided a way for man to come back. Such is the depth of the love of God. He could have just left us, but he provided a way back. And he gives us the things we need. But you know what? Think about what's happening in our country now. Think of how come we treat God with such contempt. We have food in abundance. We have fresh water. We have medical care. We have so many blessings. Think of how little evangelism is being done. We want dominion. God's given us the gift. He's given us the desire. Yes, enjoy all the physical things God has provided. You don't deserve any. But take the time to thank him for them and work. Even as he nourishes you by the word and the sacraments, work for him, evangelize others, tell them that they they can also have that right relationship with God and enjoy all his benefits. Let Christ have dominion. Go back to the creation mandate. Finally, do you want to stay under God's condemnation or do you want to be restored and resume your duty of pursuing dominion for Jesus? If you do, ask God to make you his child. Why? Because the second Adam fulfilled what the first Adam failed and, he was re- and you are now restored. You're now confirmed in righteousness forever. See, that's why when people don't hold on to... Doctrine of preservation of the saints, it makes no sense. But Jesus Christ has done what the first Adam did not do. The second Adam confirmed you in righteousness. Call out to him if you're not a believer. Say, Jesus took my sin on the cross. I want to be his. I want to work for his dominion. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've given us Words to reflect on again today. Thank you for the gifts you've given to us. How good you are. How nourishing you are to our bodies, but especially to our souls. We're not left unnourished as if we had to fend for ourselves, but you're with us by your word and your spirit. Help us then to be strengthened in the inner man and to work for the dominion of Jesus Christ. Let us live that testimony Let us speak of that testimony so the world may be brought to submission. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.